ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, וירחנוכם מבית השם. Our dear friend, Yoel Yaqub and his wife Julie, and the birth of a baby boy this morning, Mazal Tov. Shalom Zachar will be in our home. We're hosting the Shalom Zachar, and maybe even the Bris. It depends how his uh, in-laws fight it out. Mazal Tov to our dear friend, Rabbi Leibel Baumgarten, from... Long Island had his birthday this week on Tubov. Happy birthday. We wish him happy birthday from everybody. Have long, happy years. Adich Hashem Vishanim. And of course, the Yakub baby. Rizachnisa Bivisa Shalavramavino. Bite Bizmana, as we don't say it anyway. But we say it sometimes in an auspicious time. And God willing, by everybody, it's Simcha. Everyone should always see and hear Simchas. It's here, it's here. It has made it tonight. Tonight it made it. <coughs> Incoming. Uh, oh my gosh. Close enough. Poor excuse. We gotta get you up here to New York quickly. Um... Yes, we'd also like to take a moment, at least today in tonight's year, to uh, say the Chaim to the upcoming Yerzeit. My mother, the Shalom's Yerzeit, is this Friday. Sarif Kabasim Shalmeir Akayin, Chaim. I knew I forgot something. I just couldn't forget what it was. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Pasha's Akev. Intriguing, interesting Pasha in its own right. We receive once again discussion of the second Luchais. Getting the second Luchais. What happened to Selen Court? He keeps texting me otherwise. You gotta please. But a very interesting point. The Torah tells us, and I, I says Moshe, engraved two new luchas. In other words, this was not like this is not like the first luchas, where the Almighty Himself did it, but rather now Moshe did it. And then a few psukim later says the Pasuk, 
Shomis Aaron, and there they arrived and heard her her and Aaron passed away. Vayichain Elozer Benay Taktov. Then the pasuk says further that Elozer, his son, was then made the kohen instead in his stead. Now, the question is, Rashi says immediately, Why does Moshe mention the passing of Aaron after mentioning, mentioning the breaking of the Luchais? Shekosha misosan shel tzadikim the passing of tzaddikim is painful, is hard. Just like the day that the luchas were broken. It is equally painful for Hashem. The passing of a tzaddik and the breaking of the luchas. It's a little questionable here. If the mention here of Aaron's passing is to let us know how difficult it was or how difficult it is for Hashem when a tzaddik passes away, then he should have written several psukim before Immediately after talking about the breaking of the Luchas, when it talks about the breaking of the first Luchas, it brings it down only when it talks about the second Luchas that Moshe engraved. If it's only talking about the second Luchas, where was the pain? God had no pain about the second Luchas being burned. Put him out. God's pain was suffered when the Luchas were broken. And therefore we're comparing a comparison of the passing of a tzaddik to the breaking of the luchas. But when it comes here to the pasuk, the pasuk is not telling us after the breaking of the luchas is mentioned, but rather after the second set of luchas were given. Another little question. The Rashi phrases it, Koshe Misoson. It is difficult, their death. This only refers to the passing of Arnakayin. So why therefore does it write afterwards, by Yechayin Elozah B'nai Tachtov, that Elozah, his son, was immediately anointed after him. Perhaps we can explain this as follows. When the first luchas were broken, this action, when the first luchas were broken, we could perhaps have thought that the breaking of the luchas is not so bad. Why? 
Why is it not so severe, the fact that the luchas were broken? Because it could be, Hashem will give another chance. And there will be a second set of luchas. So they didn't find the severity of the first luchas. And they of course thought that Hashem would not, God forbid, diminish the value and therefore the second luchas would be as great as the first ones. In that case, it was not so painful. It was not so painful when the luchas were broken. Because perhaps, perhaps, we could think that the second Lucas would replace them. Therefore, the breaking of the Lucas, of the first Lucas, didn't have that powerful, the powerful pain. Only when did they realize, they come to realization how severe it was that the first luchas were broken when they got the second. And when they saw the second was not given with the same pomp and stance as the first. The second was not given with the same excitement as the first. The second was not written, by engraved by Hashem with the letters were the same through and through if you read it from either side the same way. All these miracles did not happen with the second set. Only then did they see how painful it was that the first ones were broken. The same is also with the passing of Aaron When he passed away, they could think, Aaron passed away. It's painful. It was extremely painful. The entire nation mourned Aaron's passing. He was very beloved throughout throughout the nation. But there was a trivial issue here. We know that when the sun goes down, the sun comes back up. And therefore, I told you it's not fresca. Making faces at it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and therefore... When Arab passed away, they were had a semi condolence to the fact that his successor will be just as good. What does the Tater then tell us? Elazar his son was his successor, and Elazar was a great man. Don't let's not diminish Elazar's greatness. He was a great man. But he, an iron he wasn't. Then they understood the tremendous loss of the fact that they lost Arnakayim. Therefore, the tailor takes it the opportunity and writes and scribes in the tailor the passing of Aaron and the anointment of Elazar after the second Lucas were presented. Because only then did they come to the realization of the great pain and loss that they had suffered from the first luchas being broken and from Aaron's passing away.
person needs to, every so often, he's called in America to do a reality check. And we have to see where we stand. Generally it says that by a birthday a person does take stock. And since we discussed two births this week, a person needs to take stock of where they're up to. The Pasuk tells us in this week's Pasha that the Jews traveled by Midbar, Hagodel, Vahaneiro, Nochosh, Sorof, Ve'akrov, Vitzimoin, Asher Ein Moim. In the desert, a great one, a fearful one. Snakes and scorpions and <coughs> serpents. And a thirst with which there was no water to be gotten. This is a life lesson to all of us. This all shows us the different levels Chas V'Sholem a person can fall off to. Starting with Midbar. Midbar being desert. The desert implies the exile. We are in an exile which is a desert. Midbarak Godel implies and hints in the beginning of all the going down to every exile, which is called Midbar Ha'amim of the nations. Excuse me. We go down the Makim Godel. Because generally, and the way it should be, the nations are bottled, are nullified. They feel null in front of the Jewish nation. However, when the Jew takes into reckoning the quote-unquote greatness of his oppressors in the exile, Hagodel, he makes them great. This is getting deeper entrenched into Golos. As my mother's yard is coming up, I've told this story before. My mother, Lashalom, was driving somewhere and instead of nasty weather whatever it was and a fellow a from you was standing on the street and she offered him a ride he must be going in that direction whatever and she offered him a ride he asked for a ride I'm not sure how it happened I don't remember <clears throat> the fellow got in the car and as they're driving the man starts practically to interview my mother Where are you from? She said, I'm born here in America. Oh. He was semi-disappointed from that. 
and your parents. She says, my father comes from, I don't remember what town in Poland. The man got exuberant, he, he got excited beyond. Would your father have a picture of the shul in that town? My mother said, I don't know. Give me your phone number and I will find out. If they have, I'll be glad to show it to you. The man was so excited. And before he got out, he gave her a phone number, for his business card, whatever. And lo and behold, they had a picture of the shul. She calls the guy up and says, we have a picture. The man was so, so, so enthralled. He came running to get the picture. And he told him what he does is, he has a, a painter, an artist, that he, that he hired. He gives him the black and white pictures of these old shuls in Europe. And this fellow paints him a colored painting, an oil painting, of the shul. And he has a tremendous collection of these paintings. It's priceless. And what he does is, he takes a picture of the, stool, of the paintings. She's mean, he has an album. So my mother told him, when you're finished with the picture, call me, I come pick it up. <coughs> I don't know how long it, time went by. The guy called her. She went to pick up the pictures. And the guy said, let me show you my album. And he took out the albums. Must have been more than one, I'm sure. And he went off to another room. And it says, it's marked. This is here, this is here, this is here. It's fascinating. All of a sudden, my mother said, whoa, where's this? And from the other room, the man says, Germany. And she says, how do you know what I'm looking at? So he said that during the 1800s, late 1800s already, the Yidin was so assimilated in Germany that they built their shuls to look like churches. So when you look at the shul, you right away say, where is this? Because it doesn't look like a shul practically. The only difference is instead of a cross, it has a mug and it. But the structure looked like a cross, like it said, like a, a church. And this is not how the shuls in Germany looked. Tells us the Teda Hamid Godel, when we get not only in the Golos, but we become one and we try to assimilate, acclimate. To the Goyim, it becomes Midbar Agodel. And from there we go down to the lower level, which is considered Noida, the fearful. If you already consider this world Godel, although the world is great, but if you consider it greater than you, I still think I'm a Matthias. I still think I'm something, but I'm a minority. 
And I am therefore dispelled from the world. I am therefore affected by the world. When the person starts to think that the world is takenaida, is great, is fearful, then he becomes fear- Then he fears the world. And he thinks the world is ruling him. So although he's within his own four cubits, he's within his own Dalit Amis, in the shul or the yeshiva, wherever he is in his house, he's still fearful, he's still scared, and he's still worried, what are the people, what are the non-Jews thinking about me? From there the person drops even further to the level of nochosh, of the snake. Which the nochosh is arsucham, brings out the heat within. It starts to get the person warmed up, heated up to the worldly happenings, to worldly life. And automatically cools off and diminishes his love for spirituality, for Kedusha. And once he's down there, he can hit the Saraf. And not only the Slavists in the world become less, and that is burned for Kedusha, for spirituality but rather he's totally extinguished. There he goes down to Chasasholim Akrov, to this scorpion itself, which is Orasukar. This is even worse than Nachash and Saraf. Because at least when the person has life, has warmth, the person tries. And it's something in the world. And if the person is still on fire with something, he can turn it around and he can redirect his energy to spirituality, to Kedusha. But once the person gets cold, once the person cools off, you don't find any solace. You don't find a solution. You don't find a way out. And there you fall into Tzimoyin Asherein Beimoyim. A thirst where there is no water. Even if the person starts, he gets a hint, he gets a sign, he gets a blessing from above that tries to awaken him, he doesn't have a thirst for Kedusha anymore. And Mayim we know is a Mayim el Mayim refers to the water of Torah. And therefore when the person does not know anything, the thirst is now so devoid, so void of everything, that he can't even pick up pieces where he had to. All this starts from Midbar HaGadol, from allowing oneself to fall into the darkness, and considering themselves as a Golos Yid, as a Jew that lives in exile. And therefore it's our obligation to remember always that we are Atta V'charton Amim. we are the chosen nation, and all the other nations exist around us because we are the Jewish nation. Because we are the nation of the world. The world that the Avishta created 
only because he wanted the Jews to accomplish what they had to, and therefore everything that's around is only a use, is only a blessing, it's only an excess to us. And therefore, we look at another Pesach in this week's Parsha. Pesach says, Baruch mikol ha'amim. You should be blessed more than all the other nations. Now I remind you, that Moshe Rabbeinu is talking here, a teichecha. He is discussing the wrongdoings of the Jews throughout the years in the desert. And now he's all of a sudden blessing Barakti and Mikola Amin. And there are several stories that remind us of this blessing. You know the Kafakaimis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He wasn't Ashkenazi. I went to a Sardic shul to discuss it. Talk about it. The Baal Shem Tov was once praying. And in the middle of the prayers, he walked out of Shul. And he walked over to a guy with a wagon full of wood. And he purchased his wood from him. And he asked him to deliver it to the Shul. And then he told the people in the Shul, pay for it and give the guy a nice tip for bringing it inside. And they gave him a nice tip and they gave him some vodka. He was really excited. And he said, Blessed be the God of the Jews who has people like this. He says, One of my people wouldn't even pay for this wood. Look how wonderful they treated me. When they left, and he left, and they finished davening, they asked the Baal Shem Tov, What was that all about? And the Baal Shem Tov said there was a prosecuting angel that was up in the heavenly court, and he said, that there were Jewish villagers that were cheating the non-Jews. And although Achil Hashem is only another Jew, but this caused Achil Hashem... Let's look at this paper. It's caused Achil Hashem to the Goyim. And therefore I needed to impress a guy enough that he should bless the Jews. And thereby when his blessing came up into heaven the decree was nullified. Because now they understood it was different. A similar story, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, was visiting a town. And a fire broke out in a house. The local citizens, not necessarily Jews. Now remember, the olden days, in the town, a fire broke out in one house. The town was raised within a few hours. It was wood. Everything was wood. It blew a little wind here there. And all the houses went down. The whole town would be destroyed. The Alter Rebbe heard about this. He went out of his house that he was staying in. He went to the house where the fire was. He leaned on his cane for a few moments. And he stared at the fire. And the fire died down and went out. The soldiers in the nearby area who were there trying to put out the fire, saw this happen. 
And they ran to the superior and they told him what happened. The general, or the whatever rank was in charge there, sent a message to the Alter Rebbe, he'd like to see him. And the Alter Rebbe came to the tent, and the guy asked him, are you related to the Baal Shem Tev? So he said, are you a son or a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov? So Alter Rebbe used to consider himself a spiritual grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. Because the Baal Shem Tov was, mantle was given over to the Magid, Mazich Magid, and the Mazich Magid gave over, the Alter Rebbe was a student of the Mazich Magid. So therefore the Alter Rebbe considered the Magid his teacher, his father, and he considered the Baal Shem Tov his grandfather. Spiritual grandfather. In that case, said the officer, eh, I'm unimpressed with what you just did. If you consider yourself a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, spiritual, physical, I don't care what it is, I'm unimpressed that you just stood on your cane and put out a fire. So the says, he says, my father was a general in the army. And he's a general, and at the time they were posted in Mezhebush. Near Mezhebush. And my father was getting very nervous. And quite a while had gone by and I hadn't re- he hadn't received a letter, from my mo- a letter from my mother, his wife. And he was getting very worried. In those days you didn't pick up the phone and call, and you didn't text, and you didn't send an email. You had to uh, really communicate with, this, uh, with the donkey carrying this piece of paper. It's worse than snail. <laughs> no, I was asked, by the way, I got a few emails last week that people don't interrupt, please. If you have a question, it's one thing, but snide remarks are not appreciated by people that listen to the downloads. I forgot about that. I got three such emails. Anyway, he was in Mezhibush, so the, one of the soldiers told him, listen, there's a holy Jew here. And we know that he, here that he has done miracles and wonders for people. Go talk to him about your problem. So he sent the message. He wants to hear this. He wants an audience with the Rebbe, with the Bashem HaKadosh. And the Bashem refused. He sent a second request. And again, the Bashem refused. This time he sent a message to the Bashem that if he doesn't want all the troops from his army to move into the Jewish houses now, Erev Pesach, with all their bread, he better see him. It was Erev Pesach time, and the Goyim would move in, sometimes the soldiers would come to cities, and they would live in the people's houses. They would just move into people, people had no choice to house them. But they would come sometimes with their chazer, with their, here they'd come with bread, chomets. But Shantav had no choice, he said, okay, he can come. When he came to the Bashemta's house, he came with his aide. And they came into the first room, and they saw through an open door the Bashemta sitting and studying Zayah. And there was a mirror in that room where he was standing. He was going to somebody holy and special. Let the women appreciate this. 
So he looked in the mirror to fix himself, to fix his hair, to understand how he's going in, what he looks like. And he gives a look. He doesn't see his hair. He sees a road. The mirror has a road. He's looking at the road, and he calls over his assistant. He says, what do you see? He says, there's a road. The road is leading to the town where he lives. He says, follow me. And the road keeps going, and it comes into the town. And the road arrives at his house. And the door opens up, and he goes into the house. It's all standing in front of the mirror. And he sees his wife sitting by the table. Well, at least he knows she's okay. And he sees she has a pen and a paper. And she's writing something. And the mirror zooms in, as we say in America, <laughs> onto the letter. And it says, she's writing to her dear husband, I know you haven't heard from me in a long time, but that's first day. I had a boy. I had a baby boy, and things are not easy to, to deal with it. I didn't have time to write. I apologize. No. Mazel Tov He was all excited. At least he, had a, he knew now he had a child. <coughs> he was very overwhelmed. And... He just thanked the Baal Shem Tov and he walked out. A while later he received this letter. And it was the exact letter that he saw his wife writing. He had a preview, sneak preview. So now this general says, I am that baby that was born at that time. And therefore he says, if you have any connection with the Baal Shem Tov, I understand where you're coming from. So we see how doing for the Goyim sometimes is a lot more important than we imagine. Another similar story in Vitebsk, which is in White Russia, there was a very good-hearted nobleman a Paritz. And the entire town of Chekhov belonged to him. And he liked the Jews very much. And he knew they were no rich people. So he never made them pay taxes. They didn't have to pay taxes. And not only they didn't have to pay taxes, but the Klei Kedish, the holier people, the rabbi, the sheikhid, the male, the chazan, the teachers, if they had animals, cows, anything, they let them pasture in his fields. No charge. However, the graf was a very unhealthy man. And he started getting older and weaker very quickly. And he had a doctor, Dr. Berritsen, who was in the city of Vitebsk. And he'd have to go to visit the doctor very often. Someone had to run the business. So the people, the person that he had that was his administrator and everything, his manager was unfortunately an anti-Semite. This anti-Semite took advantage. As soon as he was running the show, he started taxing the Jews. He started making life very miserable for them. 
many of the Jews in the city of Chekhov Chek- of, uh, were chassidim of the Rebbe Marash. They used to go to the Rebbe sometimes for a Shabbos, for a Yom Tif. And they would listen to the Rebbe's Fabrengans, they would daven with the Rebbe. And they would go into the Rebbe for a bracha afterwards, and the bracha would be for Panasa, would be for health, for the children, for nachas. But nobody ever mentioned what they were suffering with this anti-Semite. No. One day, a chassid, whose name was Shmuel, came to Yechidus the Rebbe. His name is Shmuel Isaacs. He was a wealthy chassid. He came in and the Rebbe asked him, it was Shmuel, the year 1880, and the Rebbe asked him, what's going on with the Parnassah? the livelihood of the Jews there. Are they okay? Is everything alright? And finally, the Rebbe is asking, he had no choice but to say, and he told the Rebbe the whole story. The Rebbe was very unhappy, why did nobody tell me this? And the Rebbe said, I know that the graph is very sick, because I heard this from Professor Berenson, from his doctor. And he told me that the situation is very bad, and they gave up on him. So the Rebbe told the Chassid, Shmuel Isaacs, after thinking for a while, go tell the Graf, my name, although I know that the doctors gave up hope, I promise him for every Jewish family that he saves, a month of health. The Rebbe gave a promise. Rabbi Shmuel heard this, he ran back home, and he used to hang around by the courtyard of the Graf, but unfortunately, he was very sick and was not coming out. One day, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day, and the doctors recommended that he go out, so the wagon was set up outside. People carried him out. And Shmuel was standing there. Shmuel Isaacs was standing there. And the Graf saw him, and he saw the Graf, and the Graf said, Come, come, come here. Come with me, ride with me. And he was riding with the Graf, and he told the Graf the message from the Rebbe. Every family, you get a month. So he told him, Give me an account of how many Jews there are. How many families am I going to be saving? He wrote him up the list. Two years later, the Rebbe was in Stalik. The Rebbe passed away. However, the Graf was healthy. And every year, he would send a beautiful lulav from his fields as a gift. Fourteen years went by. And suddenly the Graf started feeling very weak. He sent for Rabbi Shmuel Isaacs. And he said, travel to Lubavitch immediately. Go to the Rebbe's cave. And tell the Rebbe that according to the Cheshman, I'm owed another 19 months. 
I hope he's going to keep to it. Fourteen years he was granted. The person that was told he's not living another day was given fourteen years for helping and saving the Jewish people. And he had a cheshman. He told the Rebbe, I not mevata. You need to give me fourteen more months. So he told the chassid to travel to the Rebbe and be by the Rebbe and talk to the Rebbe by his keva. Needless to say, it's a powerful lesson. When we think we go to the ale, or we go to a cave of a tzaddik, and we don't understand sometimes what are we actually accomplishing, we see that a graf, a goy, understood that he can take a reckoning and a cheshman of his own life to the cave of the tzaddik. So much more so when we go to the ale, that the blessings that we have and receive are answered. So, when the journey is made in August, and we get graced with that day, we have to squeeze the oil in also. We have to figure out how. It's going to have to be quite a long day. <laughs> One of the recommendations the Torah tells us in this parsha. To go in all his paths and to attach yourself to the God. We find that God's word actually caused action. God created the world with words. Since we are commanded to act like God, in that way, in that sense. The person has to see to it that his words also come into fruition. Now, I'll be honest with you, in my own painful, sorrowful life, I have that issue. That I will bless somebody and want to see it through. I don't. When I give somebody a blessing, I don't give it half-hearted I don't give it just to get the person off my case etc I give the blessing because I really want to see it Um, am I spiritual enough? I don't think so yet but I keep davening for the person that I give that blessing to and therefore we consider it Adam which is Adam al-Elyon compared to the other Ma'elian, the Ebishter, with two facts. Firstly, that words that we speak have to be words that are Yetzim and Alev, that go out of your heart, really, and thereby they will enter the heart of the other person. And secondly, it should be God-fearing. And therefore, Koladim, the Gemara tells us, for those keeping track at home, Tractate Brachis 6, side B. Kaladim Shiyeshba Yerishimayim, Dvarav Nishmayim. Any person who's God fearing, his words are heard. And that way, the words of the person will cause a Maisa. I guess God fearing is a tremendously high level. It's not something that we can just ascertain and achieve by eating uh, sunflower seeds. 
But we strive for that. We truly do. And if, if that in itself is the reason that my blessings should have to come through, then I strive and work very hard that that should be his case. The Pasha that was called Pasha's Ekev. The Ekev is the heel. Rashi tells us, V'hoye Ekev Tishmun, Imamitsus Kalis, Shodim Dashbe Ekev of Tishmun. These small mitzvahs, the simple mitzvahs, that people tend to step on with their heels, those are the mitzvahs we have to make sure we listen to. Can we think of any such mitzvahs offhand? Let us say Avas Yisrael, love of a fellow Jew. It sounds almost simple. And yet, to actually love a fellow Jew as you love yourself, takes a lot of work. But it's a mitzvah that we akev. The mitzvah of tzedakah of actually giving mine to somebody else. The very, very difficult things of little intricate mitzvahs which we think through the course of our day, davening with a minion three times a day, the standard of kosher, etc., a second explanation, Ekev is from the Lush in the same language as Acharis, after, which is the reward that we will get for the mitzvahs that we do. How do the two coincide? The reward for mitzvahs that we're going to do and the mitzvahs that we step on. The first Chabad Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, explains in the Kutetera. A person needs to purify in order to elevate anything. And thereby a person can achieve, they can elevate the smallest of things and make it totally pure. Look at a weighing scale. You take a weighing scale with two sides to it, and you put something heavier on one side, the other side goes all the way up. So the lower that we're going with this side, the higher the other side is going. So to achieve the highest reward, the highest level of reward, which will be in the years after Mashiach comes, which is the second explanation, the person has to work very hard with the simplest of mitzvahs. The mitzvahs that we step on with our ankle. And dafka through this service of the lowest, of involving ourselves with the simplest of mitzvahs, can we see to it that we elevate to the highest of levels.
Vayancho, Vayerivecho, Vayachilcho es Amon. Teda tells us, I tortured you, I hungered you, and I gave you to eat the mon. Person was sustained. Person lived from the mon. The people got all their benefits of everything they needed from the mon. Where does the vayancha and vayirivecha come into play? Now the truth of the matter is, we need to first really understand what the mon was all about. God created the world to have a dwelling place on this earth. To have a place where He can settle and everything can happen here in this world. What happens? The Jews enter the desert. And in the desert they have Ananiya Kovid, the clouds surrounding them. They're eating lechem in Hashemayim, the mon, the bread from heaven. They're drinking water that's automatically coming. There's no taxes on that water. It's coming from the Bar Miriam. They were in the highest level of pure spirituality. When they started to involve themselves with the world and having to start planting and plowing and sowing and everything else, then they felt a world. But as in the desert... They were on clouds. They were in a different world. But the truth is, these 40 years was a preparation for going into the Holy Land. Because through this great elevation in the desert for 40 years, they were able to now begin their trek on making a world for God. Now generally, when we're fed with a silver spoon, we don't see the greatness sometimes. When a person gets up in the morning, <laughs> there's a fellow in New York that built himself a house with a shul and a mikveh. He was a rabbi he had a shul and a mikveh. The entire house was the exact same temperature. His body temperature did not change from his bedroom to his shul to the water in the mikveh. Everything was the exact same temperature. Amazing. And you wake up with such a life, you don't realize, you don't notice the 97 degrees and 49 and 99% humidity that's going on outside. You don't realize the heat, the suffering, the badgering, or in the opposite spectrum, the freezing cold, bitter winter with a wind chill factor of 20 below zero. We don't tend to realize that because we grow up in this shell, in this little egg but sometimes we get hit with a little bit of an assayan, with a test. 
when a person stands through the test, and a person overcomes the trials and tribulations that he's being subjected to, now the person has substantiality. Now he shows how he's going in God's way. Now he's revealing his inner senses, his inner greatness, that the test went through and I passed with flying colors. And thereby the 40 years was a preparation. We have different types of tests that we go through. We have subjected sometimes to the test of riches and poorness, poverty. In the Midbar also we had that same test of riches and poverty. The Mon itself was the richest of foods. As a matter of fact, it was Lechem and Hashemayim. And by some people it had no... It was pure. It was pure. It had no seas, no pits, nothing. And whatever they wanted it taste like. And there were those people, if you were righteous enough, you even received money with your, with your money. Now, as a matter of fact, it's more, much more spiritual than that. We spoke about Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. The word Echad is Aleph, Ches, and Dalit. Aleph refers to the Alufe Shalaylam, the one and only God. Ches is the seven world, is the seven the world and the seven heavens, is eight. Dalit is Dalit Ruches, the four directions. And we have to remember that the four directions of the eight levels are all nothing in front of the Aleph, the Alufei Shalelam. We have to remember that when we say Shema Yisrael every night, or every day. And therefore when they came up, with the, they conjured up cloud nine, it's that level on top. But the truth is, I don't know if I want to give such credence to these people. <laughs> I don't want to say they're so smart. But the Cheda, that's where it would come from. Why isn't it dark? Huh? Why isn't it dark? Why is it dark? Because mm-hmm. you woke up. <laughs> On the other hand, there was poverty within the Mon. The greatest level of poverty. As the Gemara brings down two different opinions. For those keeping score at home, it's in the Gemara Tractate Yuma, 74, side 1. Okay, yeah. Huh? Move that by heart. Of course. What did I go to school for? I guess you didn't trying to sleep like I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to sleep like you do. Whoa. Why does the man say by Arivecha? Two reasons. Ain't it Daima, says the Gemara. There's no comparison. Mishiyeshle pas besaloi. A person who has bread in his basket. Mishiyeshle pas besaloi. To someone who does not have bread in his basket. 
two people sit down to a table and eat the exact same meal. One person walks out with a basket of bread, and the other walks out empty-handed. The one with the basket of bread is more sated than the person that walked out empty-handed. Why? Because he knows where his next meal is coming from. Another thing, the Gemara tells us, there's no comparison one who sees what he's eating, to someone who does not see what he's eating. And this, if you remember also, we spoke about that Nedesh Shabbos Kodesh, it's a Medesh Pliya that tells us that from here, from Vayancha Vayarivecha, we learn out that Nedesh Shabbos Kodesh have to be lit. Why do the Nedesh Shabbos Kodesh have to be lit? In the days of yesteryear, you didn't have the electric that we have today. You didn't have lights on at home. So the Shabbos candles were lit to light up your table, your Shabbos table. And thereby you saw what you eat. If you see what you eat, you enjoy it. If you don't see it, it loses its enjoyment. And therefore, the Einig Shabbos is only an effect, the pleasure of Shabbos, only if the candles are lit. So you see what you're eating. Mashenki, when it came to the Mon, you did not see actual food. You might have tasted a rib steak. You might have tasted your chicken, but you didn't see it in front of you. It was a clear color. It didn't have any substantiality. And this, therefore, we see that the poverty and the riches were so prevalent when it came to the mon. And that's why it says, Not only the mon did not satisfy the person that was eating it, but it made him even hungrier. Because he didn't know tomorrow if he's going to see this mon. He was promised, and he was told, and he was guaranteed. But who says tomorrow the mon is going to be there? And I don't have my basket full of mon for tomorrow, because you can't hold it overnight. So I have to know tomorrow morning it will be there. But right now, at the moment, I don't have anything in my fridge or freezer. I'm full. I've eaten. A muscle of the person that was very poor. Sorry, I didn't do that. It's fine. You're hungry, you're hungry. I just ate, that's fine. The person that was very poor, and was dying of hunger, hadn't eaten in three days. And a rich man saw him on the street lying there dying and said, Rebid, when is the last time you ate? He says, three days. He says, please come to my house now. And he fed him a wonderful meal. And it's 11 o'clock in the morning. And he told him, Rebid, tomorrow we're eating lunch at 12.30. I want you to please come back again to eat. And the man thanked him profusely for the meal and for the invitation. That night, the man, the poor man, didn't have any dinner. And although at 11.30 in the morning he had a wonderful breakfast, it was time for a good dinner. And he was hungry. And Nebuch tried to go to sleep hungry. And he woke up in the morning even hungrier, because now it's time for breakfast and there's no breakfast either. He was lightheaded by the time he arrived at 12.30 for the great lunch. 
And as he sat down to eat his great wonderful lunch, he again thanked his host profusely. And the host said, I don't understand. Yesterday you thanked me for this meal already. Why are you thanking me again? It's because when I thanked you yesterday, I was on a full stomach. I didn't really appreciate what was coming to me. Now when I came here and I ate, I was dying of hunger again. So now this food had so much more of a higher value to me. And this is what the man did to the person. And we just turn now to Erev Shabbos, Mishitarach, Mishitarach, Erev Shabbos, Yechel Shabbos. Erev Shabbos is a very important time, directly connected with Shabbos, as it's called Erev Shabbos, the Eve of Shabbos. And since this Erev Shabbos is the outside, Sarerifka Basim Shalmei Akayin, we ask that she should be a a good Melitza Yeshir, as it's called, a good attorney for the family. And the main thing is we should have merit to the prophecy of a of Ran of a Sheikh Neofar. They will come and they will sing and dance, all those that are lying in the ground. And they will join us to sing and dance to greet Mashiach. And we should merit that she, Vihibiseicha, and she will be amongst them as well. And the yard site would not have to be kept, not have to be held, because we will be going to Yerushalayim and HaKadosh this very Shabbos. Gesundheit, Freilich HaHerzer, Shabbat Shalom to all.